Okay, good morning, everyone. Good morning to you. You're welcome. Good to see you all here this morning. And uh, why don't we begin with some prayer as we get started. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Lord, we thank you for this day that is the first day of the week. We thank you that we can gather as your people to worship you and to welcome your word to our hearts as the guest of our hearts. We pray this morning, Lord, that through the work of the Holy Spirit, you illuminate our hearts and minds to be able to see Jesus as the source of healing and restoration for your people. Lord, help us to be able to see the scriptures in a new way through a story that is old to us and familiar, a story that we've heard many times, but may this day we see it in a fresh new way through the anointing of your spirit upon us and upon the text of scripture that is sacred and that is your word to us. And we pray all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Good. We'll be looking at uh, Mark chapter 2. Um, this is the healing of the paralytic. And what we'll do is uh, go through the scripture first, and we'll spend time with just the text of scripture, and then we'll go uh, to the notes here for application and some principles we can draw out from the scripture. Okay, so uh, this is Mark chapter 2. And uh, just as you get ready, just to set the the context for it, uh, this is, in Mark's gospel, this is the first of five conflicts that Jesus has with the Sanhedrin, which would be the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees. And uh, that's going to culminate in the plot for his death, basically, is what the conflicts kind of culminate in. Um, But we'll see that he approaches... Um, the ministry of healing and other situations, which we're only looking at healing today, through a man that is broken both in body and soul. Okay. So what they're really seeing with this with Jesus is he teaches with a new authority um, that he reveals. Uh, he's saying God through his actions and his words and his deeds, and also what he's what they're seeing is that it's it's a bit different than what they're accustomed to. Uh, uh, typically, a, a rabbi would teach basically what other rabbis taught. Jesus says, here it is straight out. <coughs> As if he is a, um, a, an interpreter of the scripture all in himself, which of course he is, being God, but they obviously that's where the conflict comes in for them. So okay, so that's, the, that's the context for this healing that we're about to see today. Mark chapter 2. Verse 1, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so there was no longer room for them, not even about the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Child, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned like this within themselves, said to them, Why do you question like this in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your pallet, and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet, and go home. And he rose, and immediately took up the pallet, 
and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Okay. You can find this same story um, in uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, and Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. So this is a... Uh, this is uh, found in what they call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Okay, so verse 1 and 2 here. Jesus goes home, apparently. And um, as he goes home, his adopted hometown is Capernaum. And obviously by this time, words got around about him, right? So his presence and his message are attracting people. So in this home, it's quite crowded. And... Jesus uses this time and occasion to reveal his purposes. So there'll be two things that'll be unfolding here for us. One is we'll see the heart and compassion of Jesus for the broken. We'll also see uh, Jesus revealing who he is through his works. But this is his adopted hometown, Capernaum. Some would say it's his launching base for ministry. Uh, So in verse 1 and 2, he comes to something that is familiar to him, and people are familiar with him as well. He had, comes for a purpose, though, and the purpose is preaching the word to them. So it would be a purpose that he would obviously continue with, but a purpose that his disciples would continue with, too, after he's risen. So let's keep your finger in Mark 2. Let's, Mark 2. let's go to Mark 16 to see that for a moment. Mark 16, verse uh, 20, actually. Now, this is um, Jesus speaking to the risen, he's with the risen Christ, and he's speaking to his disciples. Okay, and he makes, previous to verse 20, he talks about these signs will follow his disciples. So it's not just his apostles. He doesn't say apostles only, or just the eleven. You know, he's saying disciples, which includes everyone who's a follower, anyone who's a believer in his name. And this is what he says. And they went forth and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by the signs that attended it. So what Jesus began, came to do, he expects his church to continue to do that. And the phrase he uses is disciples, which includes everyone who's a follower or believer in his name, not just certain people in the church. So, uh, he wants to see his whole church mobilized to preach the word of God. Um, now, typically, we have stereotypes of preaching. We think of preaching as somebody who stands behind a, uh, an ambo or a pulpit or a minister on TV or whatever. But actually, <laughs> preaching in the early church was a lot broader understood. Preaching was uh, you could sit at Starbucks in the early church and share a cup of coffee with somebody and be sharing the gospel with somebody as they opened their heart to you about their needs. So uh, it didn't mean standing behind a a pulpit or an anvil. It meant so that's where the disciples were to be to be spread out, as it were, in the daily context of their life, looking for opportunities to share Christ with people. All right, so let's go back to chapter two in Mark's gospel. Let's look at now verses three through five. Here we see the struggle of these four men trying to get their friend down into this house. So let's take a look at it, verse. Uh, uh, four and when they uh, reverse three and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men and when they had got near him because of the crowd they removed the roof above him when they had made an opening they let down the pallet in which the paralytic lied so I think first of all um, who are these people I mean 
to, they really obviously want to see their friend get well, right? They went through a great extent. Obviously, they couldn't get in the house, the front door, and uh, they obviously didn't have a ticket to get in. You know? So mm-hmm. what they do, they, they opened up the roof, which they knew was going to draw attention to themselves. You know? I mean, how could it not, right? So, you know, it's like, what's happening here? And Jesus was obviously aware of that, too. We're going to see his response in just a moment. But uh, these guys were really interested and eager to see their friend get well. And they obviously saw Jesus as the source of that healing. So what they heard about him and maybe what they witnessed, they took to heart about Jesus and want to bring their friend to him. Now, the other thing is, we don't know whether the... the, the um, a friend had faith or not. We don't know. They may have just said one day, pick him up and took him and carried him and then say, you're coming with us, you know. But we don't know. But it goes, it's a good point to show that it's nice to have friends who will stand in faith for you, you know. Uh, and nice to have friends who will go before the Lord with faith in their hearts, believing God to work in your situation, even when you don't have all the faith that you really think you need and feel like you need for a situation. So there's the value of community and Christians standing with each other through the thick and thin of situations. Because we don't always have the faith that we need, but our friends can, though, you know. And we don't always have the ability to come before the Lord with a confidence in Him, but our friends can. And obviously, as we'll see in a moment, Jesus thought this was, this was okay. You know? Okay, so here they are lowering the guy through the roof, making a commotion, drawing attention to themselves. And verse, um, let's see, verse... Five, when Jesus saw their faith, Jesus saw their faith. He saw faith. And we think of faith as invisible. He saw it. <laughs> what did he see of it? He saw it in the action of going through this uh, extraordinary moment of lowering, lowering their friend down through the roof. That's how he saw faith. Now, for us, they might say, these people are drawing attention to themselves. This is not right. Jesus affirmed their faith. He didn't have a problem with it. So sometimes when people draw attention to themselves, it could be a matter of faith that they're demonstrating. And so rather than, you know, for myself, be quick to judge, oh, they're just trying to draw attention to themselves, who they think they are, you know, Jesus would say, maybe that's their faith being manifested at that point. Can you have spiritual eyes to see what's going on here? So, Jesus saw faith where others may have saw a commotion. And then he says to the man, he says here, child, your sins are forgiven. So, um, Jesus does something at this point which kind of blew away the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, the guy is paralyzed, right? Obviously, it's a physical situation. And... But Jesus saw something at work in the man's heart that no one else saw. Pharisees would eventually, the scribes would take exception to what he said, but Jesus saw beyond the physical situation. He's going to heal his body, but he saw something else. He saw what was the root cause of this man's physical condition. So, Jesus' response of affirming the faith and then saying to the man, your sins are forgiven, when it was an obvious physical situation, actually touches on a very deep biblical theme. The biblical theme is that of illness is contrary to God's intention. <clears throat> and uh, 
consequence of sin in our world is illness. God never intended illness to occur. He never intended us to have to deal with disease and brokenness in the body. You know? And it's a constant Old Testament theme that sometimes uh, sickness is the result of wrongdoing done to us or our wrongdoing. And in this case, Jesus sees a connection here between the man's sin and his illness. So what he wants to do, though, is he wants to reach into the man's heart and release him from the burden of his guilt that he bore in this. Who knows? It could have been unconsciously the guy was holding on to this for years. A lot of times, and we'll talk more about this here as we go forward, but in working with people and training people to pray um, for the sick and also ministering to the sick, one of the things we found is that when people come forth with one condition, there could be a root condition that's causing what they have. So a lot of times, in order to pray effectively for, like, physically, we have to, sometimes there's a, a, a deeper condition in their life, maybe a relationship that's broken. They've been carrying a great deal of angst over or guilt over or pain over. And sometimes that needs to be healed first before you can heal and pray for healing for their body. You know? So we're, we're very complex people. We, we work together on uh, many different levels, you know, and we talk all about this and we talk about healing, but I mean, healing prayer, but I mean, it's, you know, it's, we're not just a body, you know, we have emotions, we have relationships, we have uh, a soul, we have relationships, so there's a lot of different parts of us that quick fixes aren't available in the healing ministry. <laughs> there's no quick fixes in the healing ministry. Sometimes when people come forth, they get prayed with for one thing and they don't get, maybe get well or see improvement, they throw their hands up and say, well, I guess God doesn't want me to have to deal with this, or, you know, he has other purposes, and and our experience through the years has shown us that's not the case. So we like to pray with people, like we call it soaking prayer. Okay, you ever had? Uh, when I was in high school, I ran a lot, and I used to develop bunions on my feet, right? And they, and so the the, the uh, prescription back then was you know, soak your feet, you know, in a, a warm water, you know. And so I would do that, would soak and soak and soak, and the bunions would get softer, you know, after a while. Um, sometimes with prayer people, we have to soak them in prayer, in the Lord's presence. So it's not a quick boom. It's more like, how about taking some time, like 30 minutes to pray? And let's soak you in the Lord's love for you, and let's pray through some of the things that may come out in your heart as a result of praying for you. And yet they come with a physical condition, you know. So, um, soaking prayer involves a real labor of love, a real manifestation love on the part of people that are praying, um, a real patience for the person's receiving the prayer, you know, um, but we find it very effective, very effective, because uh, in the midst of all that love, God is, has an opportunity to work in the person's heart on many different levels that a quick prayer doesn't accomplish, you know, so, so a lot of times, that's the value of prayer teams, by the way, because I, I certainly can't do that, I mean, if I'm anointing 60 people on a given night, I can't take time to pray that way, but if we have prayer teams stationed around the church, then after they're anointed, they go to a prayer team. And there they can soak in prayer for a few minutes. Much, much more. That's why it's important to train people in the parish community to learn how to pray with others. Um, and you don't have to be a superhero to do that. You just have to be, have a willing heart, the heart of a servant you know, to do that. Okay, so now let's look at what Jesus says in verse 6 here. He says... Um, I'm sorry, verse 5, child, your sins are forgiven. This is called a performative statement. What that means is 
that that Jesus is not only saying the man is forgiven, but what he says effects or causes forgiveness. It's the basis of our sacraments. For example, at the prayer of absolution, it's not just the priest saying that you're forgiven, it's that what he says in the name of the Lord, in the name of the church, actually brings forgiveness. So it's performative. It actually causes what it says. Uh, so God said, Genesis chapter 1, let there be light. It, you have an effect, right? There's light. And so your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. They're gone. So Jesus' word affects what it's what he says. And the scribes who are trained in the law got really upset with this. To see their reaction. Verse 6. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like this? It's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, it's understood that they would be upset. In their mindset, he was blaspheming. You know, only God can forgive sins. So Jesus gives the first evidence here, in Mark's gospel anyway, that his claim is legitimate, that he's God who reads the human heart. This is, again, an Old Testament tradition, going back to 1 Samuel chapter 16, where Samuel is looking for king of Israel, right? And uh, goes to Jesse, and Jesse rolls out his sons, you know, and his sons, any one of them, would be fit for president of the United States, right? But, Je- but Samuel says, no, I don't want that one. You know, and what's, what's, what's the scripture say? God doesn't look at the outward appearances, he looks at the heart. So what do you end up doing? Finding David on the hill as a shepherd boy. When shepherds were like, kind of like the low end of the totem pole in terms of society, but yet, that's the heart that God wanted. That's the person. Because God doesn't look on the appearances outwardly. He looks on the heart. So Jesus is doing just that. He looks into the heart of this man and pronounces forgiveness. Not only the claim of God, but also what he says brings about that. It brings about forgiveness in this man's life. Okay, so let's move on to verse uh, 9 here. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 8. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned like this within themselves, said to them, why do you question like this in your hearts? Now, just a little bit of um, footnote. You can keep this tucked away for bit further down the road when we talk about prayer with other people. How did Jesus know what was in their heart? I mean, they weren't saying this out loud. I mean, they weren't, they weren't uh, dialoguing. It wasn't like a whisper that somehow managed to get to his ears. You know, it said, In fact, the scripture says that Clearly, that he perceived in the spirit they were questioning like this within themselves. How did he know? This is what's called a word of knowledge. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, which means that Jesus received, had information that he didn't get from natural experience. And he shared that with, well, he knew that and shared that with the, with the Pharisees. Once he knew they were questioning their heart about the situation even though nobody told him about it, naturally. Where knowledge is, is the Holy Spirit giving information, facts, so that, that you don't get in natural ways that you share with someone to help them become more open to the Lord. You know, In this case, Jesus' intent was really to reveal himself to the Pharisees. I mean, he didn't... He wasn't intending to pick a fight with these guys. You know, he really did want them to know he was, he, he was God come in the flesh. So what does he do? He says, which is the easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take up your pallet, and walk? Well, to forgive sins is an interior thing. 
who really knows that except the man sensing a release in his own spirit, right? But to say to the guy, rise up, think of your mat, everybody's going to see that one, okay? That's clear evidence that, you know, something happened here. That So which is it easier to say? So Jesus is going to do the harder thing. He's going to do the harder thing, and that is to say, rise, pick up your mat, and walk. So let's take a look at that and what he says. This is verse 9. So which is it easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your pallet, and walk? Now, rise here is the language of resurrection. It's the language of new life. It's the very word that's used of Jesus when he rose from the tomb. So here, what Jesus is saying to this man, you are being restored. You're getting a new life. This is a new beginning for you. It was a new beginning on different levels for this guy. His sins were being forgiven, which means the burden of guilt that he had been carrying, perhaps unconsciously, was now being lifted from him. He's also being made whole physically. He also is going to be restored back to a livelihood that he obviously lost through his being paralyzed. No longer would he be helpless. No longer would he be dependent on others in that sense of helplessness. Um, He was going to become somebody made whole at that point. And that's typically what Jesus does with people's lives. He wants to make us whole in body, soul, and spirit. And the resurrection was, is the language of that new life. Okay, so here's what's taking place here. Um, notice what Mark says. He says, um, rise, take up your pallet, and walk. And verse 10 says, but you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That phrase that you may know is a phrase that's oftentimes used in the Old Testament to describe God's power at work to reveal himself to people. So, for example, we'll take a look at this minute. When, you know, when Moses did those great uh, miracles in Egypt, it was so that Egypt would know the Lord. You know, so, so that through those deeds, they would know who the Lord of, of Israel is. So here is Jesus doing this deed of forgiving and making this man whole physically so that they may know the power of God, so they may know that Jesus is God, so they may know the compassionate heart of the Father for this broken man. Is a phrase typically used to describe the power of God. So in these de- this deed of making this man whole, Jesus is revealing himself. So every work of healing is a revelation of God showing himself as God, but also showing his compassion for broken and suffering humanity. All right. Verse 12, we'll take a look at that. Um, And he rose and immediately took up the pallet and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen like this. Typically, there's two reactions a lot of times with Jesus' works of healing. This, the scribes are upset. <laughs> he blasphemed me. They were beginning to get upset, and there was conflict brewing. And then there was the people who were amazed. They were astonished at it. They were just like praising and glorifying God for what took place. You always have that. And every work of healing and, uh, and every work of people being restored in their life, you, you have the disgruntled, and you have those praising and glorifying God. It's just a matter of how you see with eyes of faith. You know, um, in this case, the Pharisees did not see through eyes of faith, whereas a lot of the people did. <clears throat> 
Okay, so a couple things we'll look at uh, before we go to the notes here, and that is, uh, just to summarize, is that the man who was on, that was paralyzed, he could not come to God on his own sufficiency. He needed his friends. And so the value of community to really help us go where we need to go in terms of relationship with the Lord. There's no Lone Rangers in the Christian community. You know, I often say even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. So, <laughs> so, you know, so we need each other in the Christian walk. So building community, building Christian relationships, building Christian friendships is so essential to the Christian life. Now we see that here. Secondly is Jesus' healing of this man is a healing that made his life whole, physically and spiritually. Jesus always deals with us in a whole way, not just parts of us. Now, and thirdly, the power of intercessory prayer. I mean, these friends here were interceding, going before God on their behalf of their friend. So the value of intercessory prayer, praying for others that uh, are in difficulty or, you know, or in some kind of situation. Um, you know, uh, I think it's an, an underutilized. You know, we do the intercessory prayer at Mass with the prayer of the faithful, which is very good, obviously. But, you know, sometimes uh, over the years, you know, I establish groups of people that would just come together. You know, you only need two or three, you know, and just begin to pray for their families. And they're consistent with it and ongoing with it. They pray for their families and pray for the situations, pray for their children. You know, God seems to honor a community or a parish that comes together to pray in many different formats, not just with Mass on Sundays, you know. It seems he honors the coming together of people to intercede for the needs of their family members. It's a tremendously powerful resource that is underutilized, I think, in our parish communities. And all you need is two or more. <laughs> That's all you need to make it happen. So uh, something we should look at here, I think, because uh, there's a lot of family situations we're all dealing with, a lot of situations with our children that we're all dealing with, and like in ourselves, we can't always manage all that, you know? So, and certainly it's helpful to talk things through with people that are friends, but there's nothing that can substitute for the power of prayer. When two or more agree on anything on earth, it should be done by our Father in heaven, said Jesus. So what we need is more of the two or more coming together and intercede for those situations that we have concern for. This is a classic example how intercessory prayer removed obstacles and brought this man into a place of wholeness before Jesus. Okay, so let's go now to your outline and kind of apply some of this. <clears throat> okay, so I'm going to read first from Matthew's Gospel to give you a summary of the healing ministry of Jesus. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria... And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now, Jesus never had a problem drawing a crowd. You know, notice that? I think one of the first things... One of the first things that Jesus taught his disciples was crowd control 101. <laughs> you know, I think that's, before anything else, that's what they had to learn. Uh, but notice what he, Matthew summarizes Jesus' ministry, that he was teaching, proclaiming the good news, healing every disease and sickness among the people. Okay, so that's a summary of what Jesus was all about. You know, And 
healing is integral to the life and to the ministry of Jesus. Um, it was uh, Pope Benedict who made point of saying this. Let me get the quote here for you. Uh, a point of saying this that in his book called Jesus of Nazareth, he said that healing is essential dimension of the apostolic mission and of the Christian faith in general. So healing cannot be separated from the good news of the gospel. It's integral uh, to it. Um, so let's take a look here. Number one in your outline. Jesus uses time and occasion to carry out his purpose. The time was his coming back home, Capernaum. The occasion was he was preaching the word of God, which is what he had come to do. And in this time and occasion, Jesus was going to carry out his purpose of healing this man. I don't necessarily think Jesus expected the guys to lower somebody down through the roof. I think that caught Jesus by surprise. But his response was affirming that. But he took the occasion to heal the man as he had come back to Capernaum to preach the word of God to them. Okay, so we see that here. So as the four men struggled to lower their friend down through the roof, they had to overcome obstacles and Jesus affirmed their faith. And usually when we want to receive prayer for healing, there's all kinds of obstacles to overcome. Those obstacles are, uh, unless we're healed just like that, there's the obstacle of having to suffer until we're made whole. Okay. Um, sometimes the obstacles are just within our own self, working through the doubts of the situation. Um, sometimes the obstacles are from people around us who may not look too kindly or feel very optimistic about our going to receive prayer for healing. You know, there's all kinds of obstacles, but notice these guys work through the obstacles. And Jesus affirmed their faith because of that. And what's the old saying um, in baseball? You know, a really good baseball player probably is only going to be successful with the bat 33% of the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, in other words, pushing through the obstacles, Jesus likes that about us when we're able to do that. Okay. Number two is Jesus speaks to the heart. This is um, the, the following passage are taken from Mark's Gospel, chapter 7. This is uh, the, the fair physician woman whose daughter was troubled by an evil spirit, and she comes to Jesus for healing, but she's a Gentile. This is what she says. She's, uh, she says, Lord, come, you know, heal my daughter. He says, no, you know, I'm supposed to go to the house of Israel, not to the Gentiles. And this is what she says. Uh, rather, Jesus said to her, first let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And then she said, Lord, even the dogs on the table eat the children's crumbs. Okay, what is she doing? She's persevering through the obstacle. Jesus did that on purpose to elicit faith from her. Okay, and then verse 29. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. He saw her heart. He elicited faith from her. And the blessing was healing and restoration for her daughter. Jesus looks at our hearts when we come before him. Kind of heart do we have before him? He's always looking at the heart, not the outward appearances. Number three, Jesus' Jesus' word affects forgiveness, not merely tells us he's forgiven. Here's uh, I want to emphasize here the power of God's words. Take a look from Isaiah 55. This is the prophet saying, or the Lord saying through the prophet, so is my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. 
God's word is powerful. That's why you hear me talk a lot about the importance of reading the scriptures, praying the scriptures, studying the scriptures, because God's word has the power to effect change within us. You know, God's word is effective. There's nothing like it. Shakespearean literature is great, but doesn't doesn't hold a candle to God's word. Okay, doesn't can't possibly. You know, uh, God's word has the power to really affect change within us. In this case, it affected change in the man's body as well as his soul. Your sins are forgiven. Number four on your outline. Through his works, he reveals his divine identity and power. Through his works. Jesus is always interested to reveal himself to people. Always. That's like his number one interest. Is like, I want you to know who I really am. What did he say to Peter? Who do people say I really am? It's still a question that he's looking, he's asking. He wants to show us and reveal to us who he is. So he heals and he makes people whole. He sets people free. He changes circumstances and situations because he wants to constantly reveal himself to us. And the whole motivation for doing that is because of love, which is who he is. Okay, so revealing his works then is has always been seen as the hand of God worthy um, that you may know. Okay, so... Sacraments are supposed to be like that. You know, a lot depends on how we approach the sacraments, but they were designed, which is why the church has always had a high esteem for the sacraments. They were designed to be works of God in our midst in which he reveals himself to us, and he affects change in us physically, spiritually, as we receive the sacraments. I haven't talked a lot about it here yet, but something that will be a constant theme for me is the Eucharist is meant to be a place of healing for us, body and soul. You know, um, in the early church, um, the Eucharist was the primary healing service. People would get well. Um, I think I've told you here or some other group, I forget. We At the church crucifixion, which was um, where I was pastor um, for about five years, we had what was called a blessing box. And the blessing box was, we actually was put right next to the poor box. And in the pews, there were cards, little cards, and on it was a scripture passage, by his wounds were healed. We used to say, I used to say to people during Mass, I said, you know, come to the Eucharist with your, your burdens, your illnesses, your brokenness, and lay that at the feet of Jesus and ask him to bring healing to you. Because he's, you know, if we say he's here, body and soul, and divinity, if we say he's here, then that means the real presence of Christ should affect change in us. If we come, and, I, and we use the story of the, the woman who, who said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. I said, come with that kind of faith. And, of course, Lord, I'm not worthy to receive it. Say the word, right? So, um, and then we say, write down what happens to you. I said, it may not all happen in Mass, but if it happens during the course of the week, I said, write it down and drop it in the blessing box. So every month I would read anywhere from 20 to 30 little cards before the congregation. And that went on for, like, several years. It was building people's expectant faith that Jesus, who's really present, as Catholic, we say as Catholics, right, he's really present, will affect change in us, body and soul, when we come before him in the Eucharist. And uh, St. Thomas Aquinas said that the ordinary place of healing is the Eucharist, he said. All right. Number five, we begin new, a new life, or he begins a new life, when Jesus works in the situation. What's the angel say at the resurrection appearance? Don't be alarmed, looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. 
the man that was made whole, Jesus said, rise, which is a language of resurrection, language of new beginning, the language of you're restored, a language that you have a new life now. And he did. He had a new life. In every way possible, his life was changed at that moment. Or I like to say with Easter, everything changes. Everything changes. That's what happened to this man. Everything changed for him. That's what the Lord wants to do in any work of healing. He wants to do at different levels in us so that everything changes for us. And we're not the same any longer. It's kind of like the line in the sand. It's like once you step across and you can't go back. Okay. So, Catholic Church has understood this uh, passage here to be a basis for an understanding of the sacraments of uh, reconciliation as well as... um, uh, the anointing of the sick, um, where Jesus affects healing for us in our soul through the sacrament of reconciliation, but also affects healing in us uh, physically through the anointing of the sick, um, and which acts, accents that one of the primary reasons for the sacrament of the anointing of the sick is for to reveal Christ the healer or the great physician to us, both of body and soul. So the church has seen this passage as it's really pointing in that direction to that. Okay. Alrighty. So why don't um, only open up for a few minutes uh, for any questions, uh, comments, discussions that you may have.